I remember when I first came to Wisconsin Rapids and Crossview Church back then was Woodlands Church and we were a multi-site campus and I was a campus pastor and in my first month here, which is hard to believe, about nine years ago, um, I was out in the foyer and someone started talking to me and they said, you know, um, we're, they were sharing about how excited they were about the new church and the new campus and new people coming and, and they said, we've been inviting our neighbors and inviting our coworkers and this one person said, yeah, I've been talking to my coworker and saying, you should come and check out this new church, you got to come and check it out and, and they said, well, I'm not going to church because all churches do is talk about money, especially in Wisconsin Rapids, that's all I do is talk about money, so I'm not going to go. And then the person I was, there was kind of three of us there, and the other person kind of piped in at that point, and they said, let that, you take notice of this. They said, don't you ever preach about money here in Wisconsin Rapids. That's what they said to me. Well, this morning I'm breaking the rules. And I'm breaking the rules because of a few reasons. Number one, Jesus talked about money all the time. Well, maybe not all the time, that's an exaggeration, but he talked about money a lot. Some scholars would say he talked more about money than most things. And the second reason I'm talking about money is that we're in a series called True Disciple, and I think part of the reason Jesus talked about money a lot is that he knew that if we want to see where our heart truly is, we can look in two places. We look at our calendar and our checking account. Our calendars and our checking accounts show us an indication of where our heart is. And to be a true disciple means that Jesus has our heart. And so we want to be honest and forthright about that and just be, look at it and say, here's where it is. The third reason I want to talk about money today is because there's many, many people that I've interacted with as a pastor who are clueless about how to manage their money. And their finances are a train wreck. And that may not be you here, but it's some, and, and I have grace and a heart for that. And it's like, where, if we as a church don't lay out some principles to help them, aren't we missing the boat on that? And the fact is, this isn't that scary, right? I mean, everything we join, you talk about money, whether it's a baseball league or something, it's like, and, and so all the more reason we, as the people of God, should talk about something so important to God's heart. The other reason I'm not afraid to do this is because if you've walked with Crossview Church for any length of time, if you've journeyed with us in any length of time, you know that we don't have an agenda where we're out to get your money. Just be honest. I mean, you know that that's not the case. And the reason is because we have a bigger agenda. We're not out to get your money. We're out to get your heart. We want your heart, as we just sang, entwined with God and in, in living for him and the verse, one of the verses that marks our agenda to get your heart so plainly is Colossians 1.28 where it says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's one of our goals. That when this life is done and you stand before your maker, that because of the prayers and the heart and the ministry across your church, you will be able to stand before him fully mature in Jesus Christ. That's our goal. And one of the ways we do that is by looking at the things that matter most to us, our time, our treasure, and our talents. And so we want to look at this uh, topic today. And as I launch into it, I just want to say something. First of all, I just want to thank you 
And I'm not, you might say, here he goes, he's going to think about giving. I'll do that later. But I, I want to thank you just for stewarding or allowing us to steward your heart in that verse. Allowing us as Crossview Church to journey with you in your spiritual journey as you seek to become more like Christ. That's a huge trust that you come in here week after week to worship Sunday mornings. You come in here week after week to grow in life groups. You come in here week after week to take classes, to grow. You are saying to us as a church that we want you to help us steward our hearts so that we can do that someday. That's a vital, important thing. And we don't take that lightly around here. And so I just want to say thank you for your trust in that and know that we do all we can as a leadership team to be faithful to steward you in that way as a past, as a uh, staff and as an elder team. So with that, let's dive in. Uh, typically I look at a passage and I anchor there and look at it, but this morning we're going to look at a variety of passages that kind of highlight this. And so uh, if you have our church center app, all that's listed there. If not, you can look on the back of the bulletin and we'll walk through these things. But the biggest phrase that I want us to look at when it comes to money is this one right here. God's people use God's money to expand God's mission. God's people use God's money to expand God's mission. So let's unpack that a little bit. So God's people, this is referring to people who are Christians, people who identify themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. These are people who have come to the Lord and said, I do not want to live the way I'm currently living apart from you. I repent of my sin and I invite you into my life. Will you make me new again? And when you do that, you become a follower of Jesus Christ. This message and this topic is directed to you. If you're here and you haven't done that, we are so glad you're here. Keep coming. But I just want to say from the outset, this is my audience right now, is God's people, where you've made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then you are using God's money. Don't miss that. Why do they always come and talk about what I should do with my money? Because if you're a Christian, it's not your money. See, when you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus Christ, you don't own anything anymore. Jesus says, you come to me in full allegiance, surrender all, and now everything you have, you are now a manager of because it belongs to God. Your possessions, your family, everything you have, you are a simple steward. You are a manager to manage the things that God brings into your life. You don't own anything when you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not your money, it's God's money. And that unlocks a huge, huge biblical principle that we have to understand as we launch this thing out. God's people using God's money to expand his mission. You see, God wants to use his mission, and and this is what Crossview Church is about. We want to see the mission of Jesus Christ go out into the city of Wisconsin Rapids. We love this city, and beyond into our whole world. This is what we're all about, and so we want to be people who are faithful stewards. We want to be God's people using God's money to expand God's mission. And if there was a principle that you can see outlined through Scripture that's intertwined in Scripture on this topic, it is that God wants us to be a generous people. God wants us to be generous with our time, and God wants us to be generous with our money. God wants us to be a generous, generous people. Generosity is key to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there's a formula that will allow us to live that way. And the formula is a three-step formula that God wants his disciples to give generously, to save wisely, and to live appropriately. God wants us to give generously, 
to save wisely and live appropriately. And there's a book that I've looked at that I think is one of the best books on this topic. And the thing I love about this book is it's very, very short. It's a very, very easy read. It's very, very simple. And it gets right to the point, and it helps you become a person that gives generously, saves wisely, and lives appropriately. And it step-by-step through little exercises help you. It's like a little tiny workbook. It's about this thick, and the book is called The Money Challenge by Art Rainier. I encourage all of you to get this book, especially if you are here and no one has ever sat down with you and taught you about money. No one ever sat down and said, how do I put my finances together? Or if you're here and your finances, as you would say, are a total train wreck, buy this book. It is like a, a course on how to run your finances in an easy little format. Or if parents, if you want to give a student to your high school or college or a gift to your high school or college student, give them this book and encourage them to read it. It will help lay a foundation of how you can be generous and be in a spot where you can be generous because you've handled money well. So I highly, highly encourage this book, and a lot of what I'm going to be bringing the next couple weeks comes from this place. But uh, it's even if you're not a reader, you will enjoy this book. It's written in such a way that it's easy to grab, and it'll help change your life in the area of finances if that needs to be done. So I encourage you with that. There was an experiment that happened with a group of adults, and these group of adults uh, had a rate in the morning when they woke up, their level of happiness. Were they happy? Were they sad? And there was a scale, and there were a few questions they'd ask. Then they were given an envelope, and in the envelope, there was anywhere between $5 and $20, and then they had an instruction in the envelope that said they either had to A, spend that money on themselves, or B, spend that money on somebody else. And then in the evening, before they went to bed, they have to rate their happiness again. And they did this for 30 days straight. It was an experiment that was uh, put together. And what they found is that the people who gave away the money had higher levels of happiness than those that spent it on themselves. The people who gave away the money had higher levels of happiness than those that spent it on themselves. And the reason is because God has wired us to be a generous people. God has wired us to live for something bigger than ourselves. He has wired us to use our money for something more significant than our own personal pleasure. And I think the reason is, is because God wanted his people to be living for eternity and focused on eternity. He wanted us to live with one foot in this world but also never ever lose the scope that this isn't the be-all, get-all. This isn't where life ends. We live as Christians for another world. Another world is going to last forever, for eternity. This, if we're given 70 to 80 years, is a blip compared to where we're going to live forever. And so God wanted us to take this time on earth, and every single thing we do, including our money, is used to prepare us for the next life to live for eternity. And he knew the joy that would come in us being a generous people and how we would live. He wanted us focused on what was to come and set our sight there. Jesus said it this way, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, that's why Jesus talked about money. There's a connection between your money and your time and your talent and your heart. 
I think inside every one of us, there's this desire to live for something bigger than ourselves. And I think that was placed there by God himself. And our, the way we handle our money is no different. We want to handle all of our resources so they make a difference for eternity. Sure, all of us need a place to live. Sure, all of us need food to eat. Sure, we need transportation. And all of us want to have our kids have a healthy upbringing and send them off to college or tech school or these things. These are good things. But in the midst of all that daily life stuff, we need to ask the question, how can I make sure these things do not hinder me from living a generous life? How do I make sure all these things do not hinder me from being generous? See, that's a wise question. That's walking in wisdom. God has given us an incredible opportunity to participate in what he is doing on the earth. And one of the greatest joys you can have as a Christ follower is to get behind and be part of what he is doing on the earth. You see, when you give, you can become a missionary to an unreached people group. When you give, you can become a Bible scholar who's teaching new seminary students without even going to seminary. When you give, you are mobilized in God's mission in so many different ways to do so many different things. So throughout the Bible, we see that God is a generous God, and he wants his people to be generous. So what I want to do is move through four basic principles Four biblical principles of how to give. And the first one is this, that giving needs to be a priority. Giving needs to be a priority. In the Old Testament, we see that God directs his people to give their first and their best to him. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this principle that God directs his people to give their first and their best to him. Sacrifice giving of income first and best. One of the verses that outlines that is Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. This, he's writing this to a culture that was very much into agriculture, and so he laid it out in those terms. But this principle woven throughout the Bible is that we are designed to give God our first and our best. See, this means that we will flourish. We will become all that we are meant to be. When we give God our first and our best. And so the question, question becomes, do we trust him in that? Do we believe that that is true? Because we've been taught by our world to first take care of yourself. Go ahead and spend that money that satisfies. Go ahead and do that. Let that be the first thing. And the Bible is contrary to that. It's the reverse of what we're supposed to, say, supposed to do. So what does that look like today? What does it look like today to Give God our first and our best. Well, one way it looks like is that when you give, if you decide on what you're going to give, and you may perhaps decide on a percentage, and we're going to talk about that in a second, maybe you set that not on your net salary, but you set it on your gross salary. Before insurance, before taxes, before that, I want to make sure I give first and best to God. That's one way you can do it. Another way that came from this book that I started doing, uh, that my wife and I started doing the last couple um, weeks here is when you're paid, the, that day you're paid, give to the church. The moment I pay, the moment I get that electronic notice that I have salary, I take out my app and I immediately give it to the church. Or set up recurring giving. That the, the giving is going to happen first and best. Now, some ask, do we have to tithe or give money off the gross, or can we do that off the net? You know, I'm not going to split hairs here. You know, I think there's some 
grace involved in this. And one of the things I do see is that sometimes as Christians, we get caught up in all the little rules that we lose sight of the bigger picture and then we don't give it all because we made it so hard and so difficult. So I'd say start where you need to start, but just know the principle that God wants you to give your first and your best. So do that. Give him those things. He can be trusted in that. So then the question comes, so where do you give? You know, like I said, there's some people that have no idea the Bible says anything about money or giving. And they're made new in this journey, and so we want to spell this out. So for some of you, I know this is kind of maybe perhaps elementary, but we've got to cover this. So where do you give? Biblical giving to God first went to the local assembly of the Christian people. It went to the local church, if you will, especially if you were a member. In the Old Testament, it went to the temple. In the New Testament times, in Acts, it went to the local gathering. So other ministries and other charities, to give, those are great. And, and we give you opportunity to do that. And you've been a really generous people as a church. But the Bible is really clear that the first place to give is that local church. That's why a lot of really strong biblical ministries will say, we need your help financially. We consider giving us a gift, but first give to your local church. Because the Bible, we can make a really strong case that the first place to give is the local assembly. So giving should be a priority. Number two, giving should be done proportionately. Giving should be done proportionately. Perhaps you've heard this word thrown around in church settings of tithe. And we say we have our tithes and offerings we're giving to the God. Or somebody say, make sure you tithe. And you may be saying, what in the world are they talking about? Is it a, a tie? No, not a tie, a tithe. It means a tenth. It simply means 10%. And in Numbers chapter 18, God commanded his people to give 10% of what they receive to the temple so that the Levites, the priests who took care of the temple, would use that money to further the mission of the temple, take care of themselves and that mission. Today's translation could easily be said, give 10% to your church. And some of you, like I said, it's the first time you hear this, and there's a very, very powerful verse that talks about giving this 10% back to God, and it's Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where God says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me in this. It's the only place in the Bible where God gives a command and he says, you give that tenth and you watch how I will bless you. It's the only place you see that. He says, test me in this. I will take care of you. I will make you flourish. I will bless you without measure when you become a person that does that consistently. In the beginning of the Bible, we see here that God lays out this pattern for proportional giving. This means that those who earn less, give less. Those who earn more, give more. God could have set a flat amount. Give a thousand bucks. Everyone's supposed to give a thousand bucks, but he didn't. He put it proportionately because I think it reflects the relational nature of God, that God wants to be in relationship with us, and as he pours out blessings in our life and resources in our life, we steward those in relationship with him. It's part of who he is. We give because he gave. So there's some debate in churches about the 
Some will say, well, that's only in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. So in the New Testament time, we don't have to tithe anymore. We can just give whatever we want because that was an Old Testament thing. And it is true that you will not find the concept of tithe anywhere in the New Testament. It's not in the New Testament. However, I'm not sure that means we throw it out altogether because part of the reason some scholars believe it's not in the New Testament is because it's assumed already. That God's people have had years of this concept and it's already embedded and assumed. Second, the tithe, that 10%, when God said give 10, it's the last place in the Bible we see him give an amount. And we have to pay attention to that. What is the last spot that God spoke? And he spoke 10%. Number three, also, I don't know if we want to go down the road of saying, well, the New Testament doesn't have a tithe, so we don't have to tithe. Because if you give according to the New Testament, a strong, strong case can be made that you should give more than 10%. That people are trying to limit their giving by getting rid of the tithe in the Old Testament need to understand that the New Testament actually restriction could be even higher than that. Here's the deal. I'm just going to shoot straight. In the United States, the average giving in a church is 2 to 3% of a person's income. Can you imagine if every single Christ follower took God's money that he entrusted to them and put it at a 10% level the amount of gospel impact we would see in our nation and around the world would be absolutely incredible. If we bumped from 2 to 3% to 10%, it would be amazing what we'd see happen in the world for Jesus Christ. So I encourage a 10%, not because you make the mark and check the box, but because it grabs your heart and pulls you into the mission of God and what he wants to do, and he creates within us this generous, generous heart. Some say, you know, I'm in a place financially where there's no way I could do that. I just want to say there's a lot of grace here. This is a place of grace. So see where you are and then start moving in that direction. Be consistent to give 1%. Then be consistent to give 3 Then be consistent to give 5 Take control of your finances in a way that you can become a person who gives generously, saves wisely, and lives appropriately. Now is the day to start. Forgiven from the past, move forward, but be in that place where you can start living this way so you can be the generous people that God has called us to be. Work into that. And also remember that tithe was never meant to be a limit. Some of you are here and you've done the 10%. Maybe God's calling you to give more than 10%. Wherever he is speaking into God wants his people to be generous. And like I said, do not get paralyzed in all these little rules. Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Is that? Is it? Maybe it's this. Maybe. No, be generous. That's the command of Scripture. So, number three, giving has to be done sacrificially. Sacrificially. Studies show that many people in churches, after they've given everything, then they give their leftovers to God. And our hearts are most full, our hearts are most content when we're giving God our first and our best, even if that means we have to hold off on some of our purchases and save, and it might take time versus getting the instant gratification. God desires our first and our best. This might bring you back to Thanksgiving, but uh, you've heard 
the term butterball turkey, and this isn't a butterball turkey endorsement by any means. But Butterball, the, tur the turkey company, has an 800 number. And around Thanksgiving time, they put that 800 number so customers who buy Butterball turkeys can call in and get questions on how to make the turkey to make sure it's the best Thanksgiving meal they ever had. And so they have this 800 number. It's kind of like a turkey tech support, if you will. And one time a lady called in to the 800 Butterball turkey number and she said, I have this Butterball turkey that's been in my freezer for 23 years. And I was curious if it's still good. And uh, the Butterball turkey technician said, well, let me look this up. Let me think about it. And he said, if you cook it and eat it, it probably is not going to hurt you, but it's just not going to taste the best. In fact, it's probably going to be really, really tough. And, you know, I don't think you're going to enjoy it, but it wouldn't hurt you at all. And she said, okay, thanks. I'll give it to the church. <laughs> and we laugh at that because it's funny. But another way it's really sad because it reflects that we have become a people that have adapted the world's mentality and have allowed the world to dictate how we think and believe that the church and God's people get the leftovers and I get the first fruits. I get the best. I get what I want. And then whatever's left over, I'll give to the church. You see, that's not a biblical principle. If you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, God gets our best and our first. That's what he's after. There was a king named David who I loved in the Bible, and, and King David was going to the place of worship, which at the time was uh, this temple. And as King David was going to this temple uh, to worship, he remembered that he didn't have a sacrifice to give. And when you went to the temple, you went to the church in that day, part of what they did and part of how that worked is you had to bring a burnt offering. You had to bring an animal that you'd bring to the altar, and the animal would be sacrificed on the altar. And there was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who would cover our sin. And so they would do this as part of their worship in temple. And so David remembered he needed to buy an, uh, an animal to go worship. And so he stopped at this place. There's lots of places on the way to the temple where you can buy your animals to go worship. And so he went there to buy it. And a person said, oh, King David, you know what? I'll just give you this animal to worship today. You don't have to buy it from me. Just take this free one. And this is what David said. He said, no, I insist on buying it from you for a price, for I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, when we have give God something that costs us, whether it's our money or whether it's our time, it's an offering of worship to him. And if you think about all that God did, how generous he was to save us from an eternity separated from him in hell and to provide us with the things he provided, he's gone above and beyond to place those things. Why on earth would we worship him with something less than our best or something that didn't even cost us? The principle here is cost is a worthy, worthy act of worship to God. When it hurts us and we don't want to and we do it anyway, God is honored. So if your finances are a mess and you say, I'm just barely getting by, I encourage you, do not stop giving, even if you have to give a tiny little amount. Keep giving. 
Because that sacrifice means something to God. Keep aiming for that tithe goal and let that happen. Because God delights in those who obey when obedience is not convenient or easy. We're all human in here, right? All of us have been in those places where perhaps we are on the list to volunteer at church that Sunday and it's Saturday night and we know we're supposed to volunteer the next morning and we're in a spot where it's been a really rough week. And maybe I'll call and say, you know what? It's been a rough week. I can't volunteer. I just need to go and sit and take it in. I want to tell you that's the time you go and serve. When it hurts, when you sacrifice, when God meets you in that place. And the same is true financially. Why? Because did Jesus Christ sacrifice for us? Oh, my goodness. Did God the Father sacrifice for us? And when we sacrifice in our offering of giving, we enter into this thing that God felt on, and we entered into in a very tiny, tiny aspect compared to what he did. And there's a beautiful worship that comes when we sacrifice, when we deny ourselves, when we say, my own wishes and desires are going to die so that you can be worshipped and exalted. That's the life of a true disciple. You see, we're told the opposite. Let's make Christianity work so that I still get to do what I want with my money and my time, and I can just add this Christian thing to it. That's not true discipleship. That's not true Christianity. True Christianity is when God has all and I die so that he lives. And everything I have, my finances, my possessions, my family, my talents, the gifts he's given me, all those get submitted to God to say, God, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do with that that you've given me? In those times when it's hard to serve and give, that's where we give and serve the most. In those times when your finances are a wreck, you want God involved in your money. So don't stop giving altogether. Giving and serving leads to wholeness. Giving and serving leads to wholeness, especially when we give and serve in those times where we feel like we can't. Because in that place, you're on the road to living the way God intended you to live. So it must be done sacrificially. Finally, giving is to be done cheerfully. Cheerfully? How can taking my money be done cheerfully? Remember, it's not your money. Maybe that's part of the secret of this cheerful thing. Remember, it's not your money. Imagine what it would be like if someone came up to you today after church and and they gave you a gift, but they said to you, now this gift, I got to tell you what it took to get you this gift. You're not going to believe this. First of all, I had to drain my bank account to get this thing. I mean, look how amazing it is, right? It's, it's really awesome. And then where I wanted to get it, I tried to call online, and it was out. So I had to travel all the way to Minneapolis to get this gift. And so I went all the way there. I had to cancel a, a, a date with my wife. I had to cancel a, a a gathering with my family, and they go through this big, long litany of everything it took to give you this gift. You'd be like, go ahead and take your gift back. I don't need it, right? I don't want that. Sometimes we approach God like that with our giving. God longs for us to be a 
cheerful giver, to give the money and resources he's entrusted to us cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each person should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful givers can have a lot or they can have little. They could be in a financial jam or they could be living well financially. God demonstrated how we are to live in the person of Jesus. And I just want to go on record and say, you are a generous church. I've seen it in you. We've talked about it a couple weeks ago when we put up the slide of how you give of your time and your money. And, and there's times we put things in front of you and you just do that. And it's amazing. So when the world creeps into your thinking and your heart to say, I want to hold some of this back or I want to, don't fall into that. Lean into the generosity that you know God wants you to be. God is an amazing God who has given much When he gave Jesus, it was the greatest gift the world has ever seen. And God gave willingly, he gave purposely. But do you know that when he gave his son Jesus Christ to save the human race from their sin, he gave cheerfully. God was excited about that. It says this in Isaiah 55.10, Yet the Lord, talking about God the Father, was pleased. He was what? He was pleased to crush him, Jesus, severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. You see, God took joy in the cross of Jesus Christ because he knew through the cross of Jesus Christ he was going to bring people who were sinners and rebellious to him back into relationship with him forever and ever. God had a view of eternity. He knew that the people who are very, very far from God because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we're now going to be brought in. And because of that, in heaven, and when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom on earth, there's going to be a multitude of people worshiping God because of the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did. And so it brought to God the Father joy to give his son sacrificially. And Jesus Christ gave of himself sacrificially. It says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't go to the cross, though it cost him. It cost him the point where he's sweating blood. And he didn't say, you know, this is too heavy. I can't do this. He prayed that to God and said, God, it feels like this. He poured his heart out. And then God gave him the grace to get to that place to say, not your will, but mine. Sacrificially, I will go. Why? Because of the joy set before him, he saw a whole multitude of people being redeemed and forgiven and brought back into who God has called us to be. Jesus paid dearly, but it was out of a joy motivation. So what now? I just want to give you a couple of practical things and then I'm done. First of all, get this book, The Money Challenge especially if you're at a spot where I need handles, I need to get my money in order, I don't know what to do. This book is so easy and it gives you such practical steps to get your finances in order. And so if you're in a spot where no one has ever taught you about money and this is all new to you, I encourage you to get this. It's a short, quick, easy read and it'll help you immensely. Number two, set a plan and grow into it. Set a plan and grow into it, especially in the area of giving. Maybe I can't do 10 yet. I'm going to start doing this, but this is when I am going to do 10. In that whole area of giving generously, start a plan. And then that whole concept of give generously, 
save wisely, live appropriately. They cover that in this book. Here's my rule of thumb I'm going to give you. That's just a good standard rule of thumb. Give 10, save 10, live off the rest. Give 10, save 10, live off the rest. If you can get yourself to that spot, that would empower you to be a generous person that God can use for his kingdom. To give 10, to save 10s for emergencies and live off the rest. It's just a great way to live. And so I encourage you to let that be the goal that you move towards. And finally, number three, I just want to hold up the mirror a second and talk about Crossview Church and giving. First of all, I just want to say, you are generous people, like I said. Generosity is in your heart. But some of you have no idea about how things are handled here in terms of giving at Crossview Church. So I just want to tell you, first of all, no one's going to visit you and talk to you about this. Some of you have told me part of the reason you're skittish about talking about money in Wisconsin Rapids is you remember days when people from the church came and visited perhaps your parents and sat down with the giving sheet and their pay stubs and said something doesn't match here. That's not going to happen at Crossview Church. We're not going to come and do that because this thing called giving is a heart conviction. It's not a legal mandate. It's a heart conviction. It's not a legal mandate. It's a thing that God wants to see within you and the relationship you have with him. And I'm going to talk more about that part of it next week. The second thing I want you to know about giving here at Crossview Church is pastors and directors and, and, uh, do not see individual giving. I have no idea what you give individually. And we put tools in place to make that the, the way that we're going to function here as a church. Pastors do not, and directors do not know what you make. We do have some people on staff who do because they have to put things together like giving statements and all that. But that circle is very small and controlled because we value this being a heart conviction between you and God. And so if you come up and talk to me about a giving thing and I get a glazed look on my face, it's because I have no idea what you're talking about. But I do think it's important that you give to God because that's what the Bible says. It's critically important that that happens. Finally, this giving thing is not to be trumpeted all over, and that's partly why we handle it the way we do. Matthew 6.3 says, Give in a way so your right hand doesn't know your left hand is giving. One of my favorite all-time preachers is a man named Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor in England in the end of the 1800s. And Charles Spurgeon and his wife had a hobby farm. And the biggest thing they had on their hobby farm was lots and lots of chickens. And so chickens, as you know, lay a lot of eggs. And so there's eggs all over. Some of you have hobby farms with lots of eggs. And you wonder, what are we going to do with all these eggs? And you give them away. Charles Spurgeon and his wife never, ever gave an egg away. They always would charge people for their eggs. They said, we'll sell you our eggs. And they frustrated so many people. In fact, their closest family members would say, hey, you have a whole bunch of eggs. Can you give us some of those? And they say, no, but we're willing to sell them to you. This is what they'll cost. And if you want, we're more than happy to sell you the eggs. And they would get railed on because of this. People would say, "How he calls himself a pastor, and he won't even give an egg. He charges for an egg. He's so stingy. And they started all this stuff. After Charles Spurgeon and his wife died, they found out that their hobby farm went to fund three elderly widows and take care of them. And that's why they were so dominant about charging. You see, Charles Spurgeon and his wife, and his wife lived their lives in a way that gave generously, that saved wisely, and lived appropriately. And they did so in such a way because they knew that as God's people, they were going to use God's money to further God's mission.
That's how we want to live at Crossview Church with our money as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the verse that says every good and perfect gift comes from you that we receive. And so God, we want to place ourselves before you as the people of Crossview Church to be people who would be living in harmony with you, using your money to expand your mission. And God, you know so many times the things of this world trip us up Will you help us? Will you protect us? Will you reorder where we need to reorder? Will you give us wisdom where we need wisdom? That we could expand your mission in our time here in such a way that when our life is done and people look back, they would say those are people who live generously for the cause of Jesus Christ. God, let that happen. Protect us from the lies of the evil one and the lies of this world. And let us consecrate our hearts and our minds before you. We thank you for the way that you paid for us. We thank you for the way you gave sacrificially and joyfully that we could be in relationship with you because of the cross. Now allow us to wrap our minds and our hearts around that, to live in a way that models your people's way of living. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.